With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lessons from the world's top professors, anytime, anyplace. World history examined and science explained. This is One Day University. Welcome. Welcome back to the untold history of sports in America. I'm your host, Mike Coscarelli. Let me tell you something. We got a good one today. I'm talking, of course, about the origins of my favorite sport, baseball. How did a game of a man throwing a rock at a man with a stick become so damn popular that it's eventually labeled the national pastime? Well, that's what we'll be discussing today. The evolution of the game from something people played for exercise and pleasure to something men played professionally for money and the setup of the first professional team. And, well, how accurate is the story we know about the birth of baseball? 100% accurate? Eh, we'll see. Matt? Where does baseball come from? Well, there's a story out there. It's a story that I was told growing up. I was told the story by my father as if it were fact. I believe he thought it was fact at the time. It's a story that the men who who have run Major League Baseball, they told this story for over a century. They repeated it again and again and again as if it were fact. Maybe you've heard this story. Here's how the story goes. It was a summer day in 1839. And that's the year, 1839, in Cooperstown, a small pastoral town in upstate New York, And some of the boys from the town, they were out in a vast green field playing some sort of ball game. They were playing with a bat and they were playing with a ball and they were running between some sort of markers that served as bases. But there was no structure to their play, no no rules. It was chaotic. It was uh, unsatisfying. And so as a solution to this chaos problem, a Cooperstown lad named Abner Doubleday, he took the initiative. He sat down under a shady tree, and right then and there, he drew up the rules for a brand new game, and he called that brand new game baseball. Two words. On that day, these Cooperstown lads, they played this brand new game, baseball, and the game caught on. 
it's such a nice story. Um, it's a story that has been told over and over in our nation's history. It is, it's a story that is still told in some history books. It's a story still told in children's literature. The story that Abner Doubleday invented baseball in 1839 in Cooperstown, it was so widely accepted that when they built the Baseball Hall of Fame in the 1930s, they built it in Cooperstown, New York, the supposed birthplace of the game. So it's a great story, baseball invented by a young American in a small town, but there's one problem with this story. It's not true at all. You know, hashtag fake news. Look, historians, they've done the research. Abner Doubleday wasn't even in Cooperstown in 1839. Actually, military records tell us he was at the West Point Military Academy training to be an officer in the United States Army. And look, here's another fact. Abner Doubleday never once claimed that he invented the game of baseball. Abner Doubleday wrote a two-volume autobiography at the end of his life. Two volumes. And in this massive two-volume autobiography, he did not mention baseball once. One would think that if Abner Doubleday had invented baseball, he would at some point in his life have taken credit for his creation. But he never once said he invented the game. You know, strictly speaking, there is no evidence that Abner Doubleday ever even saw a baseball game. In fact, there was a, a baseball historian in the 1970s who was very keen to dispel the Abner Doubleday story. And he wrote, Abner Doubleday likely didn't know a baseball from a kumquat, which is absurd. I, I do not believe that Doubleday didn't know what a baseball was. He was an American man living in the latter half of the 19th century. He certainly knew baseball, but he just as certainly did not invent the game in Cooperstown, New York. That was a story that was concocted after Abner Doubleday died. It was concocted by some baseball men who wanted to convince Americans that baseball was invented in the United States. They wanted to convince Americans that baseball was not a derivative of bat and ball games first played over in England. You know, it was in 1906, well after Abner Doubleday was dead. An old man wrote a letter saying he seemed to remember Abner Doubleday inventing the game in Cooperstown in 1839. And the baseball world ran with that story. But again, it's not true. It's a myth. There is no evidence to suggest that Abner Doubleday invented the game in 1839, and there is a lot of evidence to suggest that others were playing a game called baseball well before 1839. So let's get to that evidence now. So I'm going to ask the question again. Where does baseball come from? Where does it really come from? Well, the origins of the game of baseball make for a pretty interesting historical detective story. And here's what we know. Almost all cultures have stick and ball games. And there are certainly many English games that are games with balls, games with bats, uh, and games with bases. You know, like a game of tag in which you run around and try to avoid being tagged when not on base. Baseball evolved out of these games. And that's the key word here. It evolved. That's really important point number one today, I suppose. The game of baseball evolved from other games. It was not invented out of thin air. So what did it evolve from? 
Well, it almost certainly evolved from games that came from England. And so you may be noticing a theme in this course. The first known reference to a game called baseball, it comes from 1744. It comes from an English children's handbook titled A Little Pretty Pocketbook. And it describes a game called baseball where you hit a ball and you run from post to post in hopes of getting home. Sounds pretty close to our baseball, though there are differences. There was no bat in this game. You hit the ball with your arm and the bases were posts. So it's not exactly our baseball, but it's pretty baseball-like. And again, this was from 1744, almost a full century before Abner Doubleday. That was in England. Let's jump across the pond to the United States. One of the first meaningful references to a game of baseball being played in the United States, it comes from 1823, when a reporter from a New York newspaper, uh, the National Advocate, uh, he wrote a report about coming across a baseball game. Here's what he wrote. I'm going to quote from it. I was last Saturday much pleased in witnessing a company of active young men playing the manly and athletic game of baseball at the retreat in Broadway. And the retreat was a big open field where they used to do military drills. I am informed they are an organized association. Any person fond of witnessing this game may avail himself of seeing it played with consummate skill and wonderful dexterity. It is surprising and to be regretted that the young men of our city do not engage more in this manual sport. It is innocent amusement and healthy exercise attended with but little expense and has no demoralizing tendency. That's the report. So here is evidence of young men who are organized and playing a game called baseball. You know, we don't know the game's specifics, but here we have young men in New York City playing a game called baseball in 1823. It could be our game. So let me fuse these two pieces of evidence together and tell you what baseball historians think. The best guess is that American baseball evolved slowly bit by bit, from a variety of English bat, ball, and base games. These games were mixed and they were tinkered with here in the United States by children who then became young men. And eventually we get the American game, baseball. So baseball, like so much of American culture, like so many of the sports we play in this country, baseball almost certainly has English origins. The American national pastime is English in origin, much like the American nation itself. All right. But having said all that, what I find so interesting is the way that this game with English origins, I find it interesting how the game was manipulated and, and transformed in order to fit the American experience, specifically the American urban experience. And that's another of the very important themes in early American sport history. But even though a sport might not be totally American in origin, it is often made American. It is altered to fit the needs and desires and the schedules of Americans. And here's what I mean. For that story, we jump to 1842. 
And here is where our information about baseball gets concrete. In 1842, there was a game called baseball being played in New York City, Manhattan, by a group of young men. They called themselves the New York Knickerbockers. And the Knickerbockers were a group of young men who liked to throw and hit the ball around after a day of work in the office. These were friends and associates who brought bats and balls to the open spaces in New York City, and they played a version of the bat and ball games that they had known as children. And the game that these guys were playing was called baseball. Now, at their core, the Knickerbockers were a young men's social club. In fact, they called themselves a fraternity. The men who joined, they were interested in, in, in fraternizing or, or forming bonds with other men. You know, we talked about sports as a vehicle for camaraderie in the city last time. That's exactly what's going on here. After the break, the first organized baseball game is played in Manhattan, New York. And the final score is ugly. Plus, the Erie Canal opens up the game from the East Coast to the Midwest and beyond. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk class. The Knickerbockers were made up of men from a particular economic class. They were not among the very wealthy, nor were they from the blue-collar working class. The first adult baseball players seem to have been white-collar workers. You know, they were merchants, office clerks, uh, lawyers. And this makes sense, I think. These were men with some spare time after work. And they were men whose jobs were not especially physical. You know, as opposed to a, to a dock worker or a, or a blacksmith, if these men wanted physical stimulation, they needed to get it during non-working hours. And the form of exercise that they came to favor was the game that they called baseball. On June 19th, 1846, the Knickerbockers played their first official match against another club, the New York Baseball Club. This may have been the first organized baseball game between two different organized teams. At least it's the furthest back we can trace it with certainty. The Knickerbockers lost this game 23 to 1. Um, though the scorecards suggest that they did not play their, their first nine, that is their, their best team. 
But they played the game, and then the game was followed by a champagne supper uh, attended by members of, of both teams, where they they ate and they drank and they they toasted each other's manliness. You know, you sir are the most manly of men. No, you sir are the most masculine of all mighty men. You know, stuff like that. Now, the Knickerbockers were obviously just one baseball fraternity in, in, in New York City. And as that game suggests, probably not even the best. But the reason we focus on the Knickerbockers is that the members of the Knickerbockers, they did something very important. In 1845, they wrote down a set of rules. And these are the rules that became the basis for organized baseball in the future. The basis for our game today. It was the Knickerbockers who insisted on nine players per side. It was the Knickerbockers who set a limit to the length of the game. And actually, early on, it wasn't nine innings. It was the first to score 21 runs, or, or aces, as they called them back then. That was changed to nine innings uh, about 15 years later. And the Knickerbockers, they were the ones who insisted on foul territory. You know, in some other bat and ball games being played elsewhere, the ball was in play no matter where it went when struck by the batter, backward, forward, to the sides, like how they do it in cricket. But these New York Knickerbockers, they insisted on foul territory, on an out of bounds. And by doing so, they made the game spatially smaller. So what the Knickerbockers did, if we consider these rules... They crafted a game that could be played in just a couple of hours after work and one that could be played in the small open spaces found in New York City. So let me emphasize this. Even if baseball is not 100% American in origin, here it is being made American. It is being made urban American. The game was tinkered with and shaped to fit the needs of the busy New York City white-collar American man who had access to just a little bit of space and only so much time for exercise. Now, in 1845, when the New York Knickerbockers wrote down these first baseball rules, baseball was just one of many different games being played by Americans uh, where they used bats and balls and bases. I think this is interesting. Each city seems to have had its own version of bat, ball, and base games. And this actually makes perfect sense if you were listening to what I said last time, which I know you all were. I said that in the early 19th century, American sports were local affairs. Each region had its own sports culture and sporting practices. And evidence of this is that each region had its own version of bat and ball and base games. In Boston, they played a game called round ball. And the game resembled baseball, but in round ball, to pick just one difference, there was no foul territory. The, the ball was in play no matter where you hit it. Tipping the ball directly backward was seen as one of the greatest skills that a batter could demonstrate in round ball. In Philadelphia, the game of choice was called town ball. And one of the ways town ball was most different from the New York game was that in town ball, a runner could be put out if a fielder beamed him with the ball. This was a practice called plugging or, or soaking. 
you know, the list goes on. There were dozens of different bat and ball and base games out there, all similar in some ways, but all different from each other, you know, similar and different, just like the regions that made up the United States themselves. But then baseball, the New York game, it's going to spread. At the very start of the 1850s, baseball was really just the New York game, a game only played in the New York area. It had certainly spread out of Manhattan into places like Brooklyn and New Jersey, where there was often more open space. But the game called baseball was really only being played in the New York area. But then the game spread. And it spread because of those modern developments we talked about last time. In December of 1856, the sports sheet, the spirit of the times, they published the Knickerbocker rules of baseball, and that there were illustrations and diagrams. The spirit of the times was published in New York City, but it was read by men who were interested in sports up and down the East Coast and, and into the West, what today we call the Midwest. So information about the New York game of baseball, it spread this way. Another reason for the ascension of the New York game, it has to do with the growing importance of New York City itself. By 1850, New York City was the commercial center of the United States. And this is both a function of its position on the eastern seaboard, but very much because of its relationship to the Erie Canal the canal that opened in 1825 and it linked the farms of the Midwest and the Great Lakes region to the Hudson River and thus with New York City. And with the completion of the Erie Canal, people and goods and ideas, they were now flowing in and out of New York City. And to relate this to baseball, this population of people came in, you know, shippers and merchants, importers and exporters, and they saw this New York game and they took it back home with them. The New York game spread out along these commercial channels that already existed. Like the railroad. The New York game soon spread along the railroad lines as well. New York teams, they took to the rails and they visited Philadelphia and Baltimore and Washington, D.C. They took their brand of baseball and showed other men their game. And so by the start of the Civil War, 1861, American men were playing the New York game of baseball. They were now playing it in, in Philadelphia and in Boston. They were playing it in Washington, D.C. They were playing it as far south as New Orleans. It had been five years earlier in 1856 that a New York newspaper, they first called baseball the national pastime. 1856 might have been a little premature, um, but by 1861 and the start of the Civil War, it was a pretty accurate designation. But by then, the game was being played throughout the nation. I, I think by then, you could really call it the national pastime. All right, but I want to end today quickly by tracing how this game that was suddenly being played all over the eastern half of the United States, let's trace how this game became professionalized. How did baseball go from a pastime, you know, that's something you do to pleasantly pass the time, how did it go from that to a professional endeavor, to a job? 
After the Civil War, baseball teams began popping up everywhere. Every town had a baseball team and big cities had multiple teams. And it wasn't just white collar workers anymore. The blue collar laboring class, they were playing the game as well. And these teams might be based in a neighborhood or, or, or team members might come together based on ethnicity, you know, Irish or Scottish or Germans. They might be organized around a job, a team made up of printers or butchers or dock workers. And these teams, they would challenge each other and they would travel and they would play games here and there. But the one thing that all these teams had in common was that these teams were made up of amateurs. In early baseball, you played for the exercise. You, you played for the camaraderie. Money was not yet the thing. But then way out west in Cincinnati, they did something radical. Cincinnati was an up-and-coming city that was a center of slaughterhouses. It was where cattle and pigs, they were shipped and driven, and where these animals would be slaughtered and turned into purchasable meat. Cincinnatians, they proudly called their city the Queen City of the West, although those less enamored with it, uh, they called the town Porkopolis. Well, in Cincinnati, prominent businessmen, they wanted a baseball team to advertise their growing stature, a team that could represent Cincinnati, that might tour the Midwest or the East or the entire nation and advertise the growing city that Cincinnati was, you know, a team that would trumpet their civic excellence. So in 1867, just two years after the end of the Civil War, some Cincinnati businessmen, they turned to a man named Harry Wright and they said, build us a winning baseball team. And Harry Wright is an interesting guy. Um, Harry Wright was born in England, but he grew up in New York City where he played baseball. In fact, he was on the New York Knickerbockers. But then he was lured to Cincinnati and he was paid to build a winning baseball team. Again, a team to advertise Cincinnati. Now, Harry Wright wanted to give the men on his team every advantage. So he had his players wear the small caps that horse racing jockeys wore. This was to keep the sun out of their eyes. Bingo. We get the baseball cap. Harry Wright, he outfitted his players in flannel knickers and tight wool stockings, essentially what players wear today. The tight stockings made it easier for his fielders to scoop up ground balls because they were no longer wearing billowy pants that got in the way. And because his team wore red stockings, their followers quickly started calling them the Cincinnati Red Stockings. Now we just call them the Cincinnati Reds. But even more important than baseball caps and red stockings, Harry Wright went outside of the city in search of baseball talent, and he paid for this talent. The Cincinnati Red Stockings then, they mark a change in both baseball history and American sports history. They are the first openly professional sports team in the United States. Not the first professional athletes. There were long distance walkers and, and horse racing jockeys and professional boxers. We'll, we'll talk about the boxers next time. But these red stockings were the first professional sports team and they were good. In 1869, the Cincinnati Red Stockings, they toured the entire country something they were only able to do because of the just-completed Transcontinental Railroad. And their record that year was 56-0-1. The only tie was when the opposing team quit, uh, quit the game to protect the bets of local gamblers. 
And after taking in attendance money from their tour and then deducting travel costs and, and meeting their payroll, Harry Wright was proud to report that his team had turned a profit. One dollar and 25 cents. It's not much, but it's a start. A very modest start to the massive and lucrative professional team sports system that exists in this country today. Pretty soon, other teams would follow suit, paying their players as well. And then pretty soon after that, these teams would band together in professional leagues, like in 1876, when a handful of teams, including the Cincinnati Reds, they got together and created something called the National League. It is still in existence today. But that's how it all starts. That's where baseball comes from and how it evolved from a fraternal pastime into the professional spectacle that it is today. Baseball will be back on our course. We need to explore a professional baseball player named Babe Ruth, certainly. And then there's the story of Jackie Robinson, maybe the single most important story in all of American sport history. That's all for now. Next time on the Untold History of Sports in America, presented by One Day University, the rise of the sweet science, boxing. Put him up. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.